I hope that it's hard for you to comprehend the depth of prejudice that once existed between Jew and Gentile. Prejudice so deep that one would even deny the humanity of the other. Prejudice best exemplified in our culture by that which existed between white men and Indians. Prejudice that enabled white men to think of Native Americans as nothing more than savage beasts. Well, Jews basically thought of Gentiles, non-Jews that way, as animals, as dogs, as filthy, defiling creatures. And they felt themselves contaminated just being near one. They would seldom speak to one, never touch one, and horror of horrors, never have one in their home or go to theirs or eat with them. This would have been unthinkable for a conscientious Jew. Now, God had told the nation of Israel to come out and separate themselves from the pagan world to avoid religious pollution at all costs. But he never intended for them to get the idea that they were the only ones of value, the only ones he cared about. But it happened. And the breaking down of this prejudice was a major item in Christ's agenda when he came. Paul tells us in Ephesians that Jesus came to break down the barriers that exist between men and to open up the way of salvation to all, to make all people one before their common creator. And Jesus himself made this clear by commanding his apostles to take the gospel to the Gentile nations. But as we saw last week, prejudice dies hard. The original apostles so disregarded Christ's command to go to the Gentiles that he had to commission another after his ascension into heaven to be his apostle to the Gentiles. And that, of course, was the apostle Paul. The Lord, however, wasn't going to leave it up to Paul to convince the rest of the apostles that Gentiles were loved by him and were to be welcomed into his kingdom. He broke that ground long before Paul began his great ministry to the Gentile world. And he did so by the means of a vision that he gave to Peter one day at noon as he was waiting for dinner on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's home. You remember the vision, the, the sheet, the animals, the creeping things, the birds, and the command, kill and eat. Peter's response, you recall, was, oh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. To which the voice from heaven replied, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. After saying that three times, the sheet lifted and three men arrived at the gate, Gentiles, sent by a Gentile named Cornelius, a Roman centurion, commander of a hundred men stationed in Caesarea. They had been sent to fetch Peter. 
And Peter was commanded by the Spirit to go without misgivings, for God himself had sent them. So Peter invited them in, gave them lodging, and the next day began his journey for a meeting with Cornelius. A journey that was a long time in coming, for it took visions and angels to get Peter and Cornelius together. We pick up the story with the meeting itself in Acts 10, continuing our study, second half of verse 23 and on. And on the next day, he arose, Peter arose, and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I ask for what reason you have sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago at this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa, and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Now, this was an awkward meeting at best. Peter knew he had to go, but he was apprehensive. And he didn't want to risk going into a Gentile home alone, so he took six brethren from Joppa to serve as witnesses and to vouch for him and his behavior. When he got there, he found Cornelius' house full of Gentiles. He'd invited his relatives and his friends. It was worse than Peter had imagined. And when he walked in, Cornelius didn't know how to greet him. An angel had told him to send for Peter, so he fell at his feet and worshipped him. Peter was embarrassed and said, Stand up, I too am a man. When Cornelius got up, they went further into the room where Peter noticed even more Gentiles and got even more nervous. And the first thing he blurted out was, you all know I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) I love that line. And then he quickly explained why he had been willing to come. He reminded them that it was unlawful for a Jew to associate with foreigners, which was better than calling them Gentile dogs, and added that God had showed him to no longer consider them unholy or unclean, which he had apparently done. Then he said, that's why I came. Now, what do you want? (laughs) Why did you send for me? So Cornelius explained why he had sent for Peter. 
He told him that he'd been praying when a man in shining garments appeared to him and said, Your prayer has been heard and your alms, your acts of charity, have been noticed by God. Send to Joppa for Simon Peter. That's why he had sent for him. Now, I think it's important that we notice a couple of things here. The first is that Cornelius's prayer had been heard. Okay? Now, does that mean God hears the prayers of the unsaved? Well, yes and no. No, he does not hear the prayers of the unsaved in general. Sin separates sinners from a holy God, and that gulf cannot be bridged except by Jesus. So the assumption that everyone is free to just pray to God and he hears everybody's prayers is not true. It's not supported by Scripture. It's not. The general prayers of the unsaved are not heard. There are many Scriptures that make this clear, including the psalm that we read this morning. However, prayers of repentance are heard. Anyone who calls out in faith and seeks to know how to establish a relationship with their creator will be heard, as was Cornelius. I think that's very important to understand. Again, it goes counter to common thinking. You know, God cannot hear the prayers of those who are still in their sin. A holy God cannot come into the presence of an unholy person. But he does hear the prayers of anyone who wants to know how to be made holy and acceptable. And he answers that prayer. He gives them what they need to enter into that relationship. Very, very important point to make. The second thing I think we need to note is that the angel did not tell Cornelius how to enter into that relationship with God. He simply told him to send for Peter. You know, just as with Paul on the road to Damascus, God sends those who need to know what to do to be saved to the church, to those who know him. The gospel has been entrusted to the church, and God wants the gospel shared person to person. He doesn't share it directly. He goes through his body on earth, the church. That's us. Again, another very important thing to remember. Anyway, back to the story, I guess. Cornelius sent for Peter. And he said, you've been kind enough to come, and we're all here before God. Tell us what he's commanded you to say to us. Wow, what an audience is that. You know, Cornelius was ready to listen to Peter's message. He was ripe for the gospel. And the stage was set for Peter to share the message. Let's see what he said. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter began by stating that he now understood that God shows partiality to no one. That anyone who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him, no matter who they are, no matter their nationality, no matter their race. Now that does not mean that by just doing good, people are made acceptable to God. That it doesn't matter what you believe or who you worship. It means that anyone who fears God and does what is right is welcome to come to the Father through the Son. That the gospel is available to all. And no one is to be excluded. And the focus of Peter's message was clearly Jesus. It wasn't well, you were such a good man that God decided to save you. No. It wasn't, you know, if you're a good person, you're fine with God. He stressed the importance of Jesus in establishing a relationship with the Father. That is the gospel that came through the Old Testament. That is the gospel that came through Israel, that God took on flesh, became a man, and made it possible for men to find peace with God. Now, Peter's hearers knew of Jesus. Caesarea was the Roman capital of the province of Judea. So they were no doubt familiar with Jesus' life and, and his ministry. And it was obvious even to them that he had been anointed by the Spirit of God. They knew he had done good things and dealt with the effects of sin in people's lives. There's even some who have suggested that Cornelius knew more than that. That Cornelius was actually the centurion at the cross. Now, there's no solid evidence to support that. But obviously, if he was, he would have been a witness to the death and the amazing thing that took place on the cross. But even if he didn't know that, if he didn't know already that Jesus had died and then rose again, Peter now made that very clear. Peter had been there, and the apostles had witnessed it. They had seen Jesus alive after the crucifixion, and it was no apparition. They ate and drank with him. Now, it didn't appear to everyone, but he did appear to sufficient numbers to document the fact that he had risen from the dead. In fact, even though Peter doesn't mention it, Jesus appeared to over 500 at one time. The apostles had therefore been commissioned to preach that good news. The gospel, the fact that Jesus had lived, died, and rose again, and that in doing so, he had broken the bondage of sin and death that enchained all of mankind and alienated them from their creator. Indeed, the apostles were witnesses to Christ's power 
over death. And to the fact that he was the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. The one who would declare every person guilty or innocent before God. And the good news is that he wants to be able to declare all men innocent before God. And he died to make that possible. He wants to forgive. And the prophets of old bore witness to the fact that forgiveness of sin would come through him. That was the message that Peter had to deliver to Cornelius, at least as far as Peter got. It was now time for him to tell Cornelius what to do. He had reached that, reached that moment in his message, the time for the invitation. But was Peter really ready to offer the gift of eternal life to Gentiles? Was he saying something he really didn't believe in the depths of his being yet? We'll never know. Because God moved to make sure he understood what was involved here. And God did so through an amazing miracle that took place in Cornelius' home. Let's read about it. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. While Peter was still speaking, boom, the Holy Spirit fell upon his listeners. This was deja vu for Peter. He had seen this before. The sound of the wind, the flames of fire. Only now they were on the heads of Gentiles. And they began speaking in tongues, in foreign languages. Perhaps they were even praising God in Hebrew. The Jewish Christians couldn't believe it. A Gentile Pentecost. God's willingness to accept Gentiles could no longer be questioned. And Peter got the picture. He said, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? Gentiles were acceptable to God. And salvation was to be made available to them. They were to be allowed entrance into the kingdom through baptism into Christ. Now, some stumble over the fact that the Gentiles received the Spirit before baptism. And Acts 2.38 makes it clear that we receive the Spirit at baptism. But there are two different manifestations of the Spirit in view here. What happened here was the outpouring of the Spirit, a replaying of Pentecost. And it was for the benefit of the Jews to convince them that the Gentiles were acceptable to God. It had nothing to do with the Gentiles' personal salvation. It simply indicated that God would accept them into his family. 
through water baptism, they were then individually cleansed of their sin. So the Holy Spirit that had been poured out upon them could indwell their cleansed hearts. You know, the events in Cornelius' household in no way depreciate the importance of baptism. Just the opposite. It makes it clear that a religious experience is not enough. It does not eliminate the need for baptism. When they understood that God loved them and would accept them, they were given the opportunity to come to him by trusting him to cleanse them in a watery grave of baptism. And Peter gave the order for them to be baptized. Now, obviously, that wasn't against their will. He said, baptize them. And apparently, the brethren from Joppa baptized them. After the baptism, Cornelius asked Peter to stay on a few days, and he apparently did so without reservation. Through Christ, Jew and Gentile had become brothers. The wall had been broken down. The problem of prejudice had been solved, at least between two small groups of Jews and Gentiles. But as we read on, we find others still had misgivings about the whole thing. On into the 11th chapter. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze upon it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Oh, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared before the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. And these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. <laughs> you know, the importance of this event 
is witnessed by the fact that Luke restates everything. You know, there's a limited space on a scroll, and he had lots to say. But he wrote out what happened a second time because this was very, very important. He, he didn't just write, well, Peter told him what happened. He could have done that, but he didn't. He wanted to state it again. He doesn't want anyone to miss what happened. And the word of what had happened had actually beat Peter back to Jerusalem. When he got there, the Jewish brethren took issue with him. They had misgivings about what had happened. Now, they were not so bold as to challenge the validity of the Gentiles' conversion, but they attacked Peter for going to them in the first place. Remember, these are Christians. Christians who had serious misgivings about Peter's taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't reprimand their prejudice. He didn't reprimand their uncharitable attitude. He didn't say, how dare you question me and exert his authority. He simply defended his action by relating to them what had happened. He told of his vision and the Spirit's order to go to Caesarea. He told of Cornelius' visit by an angel that had promised he and his household would be given the opportunity to hear words by which they could be saved. He testified how the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them as he had fallen upon them at the beginning. Then he asked a very relevant question. How could I stand in God's way? When he understood what God was wanting done, how could he stand in God's way? How could he allow personal prejudice to keep him from doing what God made clear was to be done? That's a great question, one that perhaps we need to ask ourselves. When they finally understood that God had accepted Gentiles, their misgivings vanished. They quieted down. I like that. They quieted down and glorified God. God had granted to Gentiles repentance that leads to life. He is no respecter of persons. Anyone who fears and seeks after him is to be welcomed, given the opportunity to be forgiven, to be cleansed and made acceptable to him. No one is outside the reach of his love. No one's past, no one's heritage, no one's upbringing needs stand in his way of coming to God. God loves Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody who's not a Jew, alike. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Everything. Everything. No one is to be overlooked. No people group is to be ignored. Our commission is to take the gospel to all people, everywhere, all nations. And on a very personal level, since God is willing to make anyone acceptable, you can be sure there's room at the cross for you. Let's stand.